Chris and Chris Talk Movies. Hello. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. My name is Chris Ferry, and of course, this is my co-host. My name is Chris Huddleston. And today, we are both very excited to be talking to you about an 80... What you win was this? 86. 1986 movie I had never even heard of before ever, Nomads. Donald was only here for a little while, but they did a good deal to the house. It started out to be their dream house. What do you think, huh? A place to call their own. (laughs) A home too good to be true. With a secret more horrifying than you can ever imagine. You have a synopsis for us, Mr. Huddleston. I do. Nomads, as as we said, is a 1986 film directed by John McTiernan. We're going to have to talk about him some, some of the other things that he's done. It stars Leslie Ann Down, Pierce Brosnan, Anna Maria Monta. I think it's Monticelli. Yes, it didn't. It cut off part of her name. Uh, and the synopsis that we have from IMDb that doesn't really tell too much about it. Uh, A French anthropologist specializing in nomadic groups moves to Los Angeles with his wife and starts following a group of sinister street punks who seem to live and move around in a black van, but they aren't what they seem. It's all true. So you had, neither of us had seen this. You had not heard of it. it. I had barely heard of it. But they added it to Shutter fairly recently, and I'm just like, oh, that looks kind of interesting. So, um, so let's start with you. What what did you? What are some of your thoughts? A little bit of a slow burn. Um, I didn't think anything. I didn't think. I didn't think it got its hooks into me until at least, like, it's an hour and a half. And I felt like things started to cook at an hour, <laughs> right? So Pierce Brosnan is a Frenchman. That's interesting. And he sort of, it's the sort of starts off as a mystery. He goes nuts in the beginning and dies. And, oh, we spoil these movies, in by the way. In the first minute or two of the movie, right. he's And dead. you go, well, that was a short run. Um, <laughs> but it's just supposed to get us excited about the film, there's a female doctor that he sort of whispers something in her ear as he dies, and there is a lot of casual misogyny in the hospital by the other doctors, and we we don't we start following Pierce Brosnan around as he moves into a new house with his wife, and there are these sort of punks that are hanging around outside and have spray painted their garage. And so he starts to investigate and he follows them. Right. And I think it looked really good. I liked how it looked on screen. Um, you know, and per- however you feel about Pierce Brosnan, he is a movie star, you know, he's good looking and he's compelling to watch. And I think his French accent is fine. It is very thick. <laughs> 
Um, but it it was slow, and then I I guess I felt by the end, once I sort of knew what was going on, I thought it felt a little bit tepid to me. Like I didn't ever really didn't ever really get my pulse going. I didn't ever really find that I cared profoundly about what was happening. We never really got a sense of why what was happening was happening. I mean, did you pick up on any of that? Yeah, yeah. So uh, one thing that I think we should say that I don't think you said there. Um, so the uh, when he's in the hospital and he's going crazy and there's this doctor that is, that is what is her name? Leslie Ann Downs or down. Um, and so she's this doctor and basically she starts to, after, uh, he, I guess I was a little unclear, but he, he whispers this thing in French to her and I guess bites her. Is that what he, he did? Uh, I was, I was a little unsure as to what happened to her ear, but her, she passes out and her ears hurt. And then the next thing, you know, they're stitching her up. And they're like, oh, you know, that guy died, that crazy guy died. And then later, you know, they say he was, you know, they just thought he was on drugs or whatever. And they say, he not only was he not on drugs, he's this world famous anthropologist who speaks five languages or whatever, you know. And so then she starts to, we, we start seeing uh, what happened in Pierce Brosnan's last few days through her eyes. So, um, and she's going around then retracing his steps, uh, essentially. And so I guess I will say kind of spoiler alert. I really enjoyed this. I, I liked this a lot. Um, was completely unfamiliar with it. It, um, I did a good bit of reading about it today and I'll talk about that some, uh, towards the end, but. Uh, one thing that I did re read was they, they said uh, in one review that I saw, they said they, they used to show this over and over and over again on HBO. And how I missed it, I don't really know. But um, this seems like a movie that if I'd seen it in 1986 or 1987 or something like that, I probably would have been really into it, you know, at 13 or 14 or whatever. Um, but I will say, even though I enjoyed it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, so we find out, I, I guess, basically Pierce Brosnan has, um, in his anthropology work, he and his wife have gone to all these different countries and he's taken the pictures of all these different tribes and things. And I guess all of them were nomads. And so now these group of punks in LA are nomads too. And they, they just kind of wander around and do violent things. And uh, I read in one review that I read, I think this was from, this wasn't a review, but this was from Wikipedia. They said, so we find out at one point that they're Inuit, um, you know, like Eskimos. And uh, we've, uh, the, the movie doesn't really spell this out. I didn't feel, but, on this Wikipedia uh, posting I saw, they said that they're these Inuit spirits of like mischief kind of, and more than mischief, you know, of violence or whatever. And I don't feel like the movie explains that to you really. Now this was based on a novel. So it was based on a novel. And then John McTiernan, who I want to talk about briefly, he wrote the screenplay. He adapted the screenplay for this. So, Maybe the the book spells all this out so you know, you know, uh, who they are and what they are. But, you know, you don't really understand if they um, are they uh, what's the term corporeal? You know, are they ghosts? Are they spirits? Are they solid? You know, are they just humans? I guess. Isn't there something said about that? They inhabit people's bodies or something. Um, yeah. But anyway, so. uh so, yeah, it doesn't uh, and we get to the end. And so this is a big spoiler. And the so the doctor finally her her uh, 
path ends at the at Pierce Brosnan's home where his wife is. And she we don't see her let her in, but it's it's sort of weird that, you know, this would seem to be insane woman. She lets into her house and lets her sleep on her couch and stuff. But so at the very end, um, you know, they then find out that the uh, the nomads are going to come after them and they all just surround the house and start, you know, spray painting and smashing out windows and all this kind of stuff. And finally, the two women hide in the attic and one of the nomad, this this female nomad climbs up into the attic and basically then they just leave. And the very ending is the two women decide, you know, they've got to get out of Dodge or whatever. And so they're taking off down the road and this motorcycle passes. And the doctor says to the wife, uh, you know, what does she tell her not to look at him? No matter what you see, don't stop. Yeah. Yeah. No matter what you see, don't stop. And so they, the motorcycle stops and then it's Pierce Brosnan on the motorcycle. And then, they drive on and it just shows the last shot is just a sign, you know, entering California. So I guess it was like, as long as they got across the border, then the, the nomads couldn't, couldn't catch them. I don't can't know. cross state but lines. It, yeah. I guess they cross, they can't, they can go from country to country, but, but that all said, even though, you know, like I, I say, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. It had a, I, there was an atmosphere about it that I, that I just enjoyed. I, I thought it, the movie looked really great. Um, I and I think it's that. interesting that you, not that you brought it up, but that the, the French accent uh, didn't really bother you. Cause it didn't bother me either. I didn't know the, the, it didn't make sense to, you know, why he couldn't have just been English. I don't know. But again, in some of my reading, the, the original choice for this movie was Gerard Depardieu. Mm. And, uh, in this was, I think, Pierce Brosnan's first movie role, and he oh, really? younger viewers. That's interesting. What's that? I did, that's interesting that that this was his first. It was it was either his first movie role or his his first leading role, and hmm. what he was famous for at this time that younger viewers, I doubt, are familiar with at all, is this really popular show called Remington Steel, um, where he was very British on the show, and. He said doing this movie, he wanted to do something very different from Remington Steel because he was trying to be not typecast, which in a way he went on because he became James Bond, which was kind of Remington Steel was kind of, you know, James Bond light or whatever. But maybe I'm just guessing, but maybe he was like, hey, I want to do the French accent to make it even, you know, less like I'm British. But almost every review that I saw on this just said he has the worst French accent ever. And it's, it's distracting at first, but it didn't bother me beyond that other than there was no reason for him to be French. Right. I mean, it wasn't, you know, it didn't have anything to do with the plot at all. They could have had him just be, just use his normal voice or be American, you know? So, so I interpreted he dies and whispers something in her ear and somehow his spirit passes into her because okay. all of the rest of the movie we see sort of flashback style. Some of it's his POV. Some of it is she finds herself in these places. Like she sort of comes to in the middle of the street where she was just having a vision of, you know, kind of retracing his steps as him, right? And that's how she ends up at his house with his wife, you know, and the, the woman, mm -hmm. his wife has no idea who this woman is, right? And that's how the two of them meet. And then the only reason I could think of at the end why the um, the big female nomad punk finally breaks up through the attic and then looks at them and sh the doctor sort of starts screaming and then stops and goes slightly catatonic. And then the the um, nomad, sort of one of those <laughs> cliche horror, you know, villain smiles, spreads across her face and she leaves. And they all leave. 
And then when I was like, well, what's that about? Like, why? Why'd they leave? Then when we see Pierce Brosnan, it's like, oh, he left her and joined them. Okay. Which is why they had been pursuing her anyway. They were after Mm -hmm. him. I don't know why. Maybe because he chose to fight them, right? He... In one scene, he goes in, there's a nun, and she says, you just have to run. Don't Whatever you do, don't try and fight them, right? And then there's the crazy nun carnival of nightmare nuns or whatever. And this, this That was a really spooky scene, but it didn't make any sense. It didn't tie into anything else, you know, in the in the film. But that's interesting that you say that about... So that makes sense to me now, based on what I read today, um... Uh, I don't know if it was Wikipedia or somewhere else, but they were saying that once he... So basically what happens is Pierce Brosnan spots the nomads and he starts going after them, following them around. And, you know, seeing... And he sees them murder somebody in an an alleyway. Uh, We don't get any explanation as to why they murdered this guy or anything. Or who. Yeah, who he is or anything, but they just kill him and throw him in a dumpster. Um. But so this, what I read, and this would go along with what you're saying and makes it make a lot more sense, is that once he spotted them, then they had to take his soul. That was why they were following him around, was to take his soul. So I guess, you know, his soul had entered her body and then they took it from her, I guess. I guess. Yeah. I agree with you. I like the look and feel of it. Um, it had a very 80s vibe. Like Adam Ant is one of the, I don't think he has any lines, does he? But Mm-mm. he's the sort didn't, of I mean, pretty I, punk. And I know Adam Ant, you know, from then, but I didn't recognize him until, I didn't realize it was him until, you know, I saw him in the, in the in cast the credits. list. But yeah. yeah, but, the, you know, one thing, it, it was just very much like they were glam. They were glam mm-hmm. punks, right? Like, it almost like, haute couture punk it was this kind of cost halloween costume of what a punk right it's very 1986 punk and there was always they were always kind of leering and sneering and there were all these kind of guitar licks i'm like we get it (laughs) uh well where this punk yeah You know, Two and I just, and that, just so. kept hitting it so hard. I was like, wow. Two two things about that. So the the punk thing, there was definitely a period there, like you said, 1986 punks, where punks were movie villains for a little while, you know? Uh, and uh, so, yeah, they very much have that look, the 80s punk look. Um, and th- the music, what? so the music at times is pretty good, I think. And then there's times where it's pretty overbearing. Um, and the music was done, uh, partially by Bill Conti. Who's, uh, has like tons and tons of, uh, he did like the right stuff and the karate kid and, you know, tons and tons of movies and TV. And so the kind of synthesized stuff was him. And I, I think the synthesizer stuff is pretty good. And the electric guitar was Ted Nugent. (laughs) So, uh, and Bill Conti said that, like, he basically didn't write anything. He would just go in the studio with with, uh, Ted Nugent. And, you know, he would play keyboard. Ted Ted Nugent would play guitar. But, yeah, so the guitar stuff is pretty pretty overbearing. But the, the, uh, and it's not just because, you know, I think Ted Nugent is a bad guy, but we didn't know that in 1986, you know, he was just like a rock guy. But, uh, so yeah, the, the, the music feels very 80s, 1986. I mean, it's a very 1986 looking film, Yeah. but, but all that said, it's well made. And, um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about John McTiernan. So this was his first film and, uh, he had a huge career after this. So this was 86 Arnold Schwarzenegger saw this movie and liked it, liked the, um, a lot of stuff that I saw, it said it was a low budget. I never could find a budget for it, but it made about $3 million. It was only in like 400 and some theaters. 
Um, but Arnold really was impressed with what he was able to do with the budget and hired him for Predator the next year. Mm. And then he went on to do Die Hard mm -hmm. <laughs> so, the next year. So, um, And then he had some problems and, and uh, went to prison in the 2000s. But... Uh, for like I a think year, but uh part of it is that you can see that it's a low budget film mm -hmm. but and I think part of it is that the script it's a it's a thinker you know it's about oh the soul and the spirit and the menacing look and there isn't a lot of concrete you know I mean he does a lot of camera tricks of there's a sort of a punk with a broken bottle, like lunging towards the camera out of the dark. And then the woman goes, ah, you know, in, in real life. And mm. So there's a lot of like this sort of indicating sort of psychic attacks that. I, I mean, it just feels um, half realized, I guess is what I'm saying. It. Uh, yeah. I, I think that. I I could see what what someone would see like the the movie looks great. I the clearly he's got a good eye and you can see that on the screen. Um the lighting is moody and right and the vibe is there and it it does hold your attention. I just um it makes me think like there's this um a lot of times you go to a pastry shop or something and they've got these big glass cases full of cakes and pies and cupcakes and stuff and it all looks really good like you go wow that's so pretty oh let's indulge let's get a cupcake and you get one of these gorgeous looking cupcakes and you eat it and it's okay it's fine right but it doesn't live up to how good it's just sort of sweet like it doesn't you know what i mean you the look of it set an expectation that's what this movie makes me think of a little bit it looks better than it tastes <laughs> going mm -hmm. down yeah. uh, and it, it was fine. You know, we've watched some terrible films um, and I wouldn't say this is a terrible film, but when it started, I was really excited because I, Oh, this looks great. You know? And I thought it was really going to have teeth and really have an edge. And I didn't really feel it had teeth or an edge. No. And it, it, it doesn't, uh, the the film doesn't feel like it knows exactly what it wants to be. The um the the cover art um is totally misrepresents what it is because right. you know it shows Pierce Brosnan kind of running and then in the background it's sort of coming out of these the clouds or these sort of ghosts and there's never again you're not really sure it's kind of supernatural. But again, you don't really know. I mean, I guess it's explained to, to us that they're spirits, but we don't really ever know if they're spirits in terms of, you know, actual ghosts or if they're physical. Right. You know, if, if everybody else can presumably there's times when. Again, it's not really clear at the end of the movie, the doctor says to the wife because they go outside and all the punks are there and she says, oh, you can see them, too. But at the beginning of the film, uh, when we see Pierce Brosnan and his wife moving into the house, there's a realtor there and the punks go by in the van and she says something like, damn punks. So she could see them. So apparently people can see them. You know what I mean? They're not yeah. just they're not just ghosts. I don't know. But uh, there's also a strange because of the accents and things, there's a strange European feel to this film, I thought, because you have the, so the wife, she's French. Um, and I looked her up, her last name is Monticelli. So I thought, oh, is she Italian? But it, it says she was born in Morocco. So I don't know, you know, I don't know what her her actual language is. Um, and I I was kind of unsure if she was, because it seemed like her French accent wasn't that great either. <laughs> um, and it was funny to me also. I mean, I guess this is just a, a to simplify the film. But they're at home alone, Pierce Brosnan and, and the wife. And 
they're speaking English to each other in with their French, French accents, accents you yeah. know, which it seemed why they weren't just speaking French. I, I don't really know, but I mean, that's a nitpicky thing. But so you have the two of them and then you have the doctor. I think her name is Dr. Flax and she is English in real life. Um, and you know, they, nothing is really said about her being English. It's just, she's from the, she's here in LA and she's from the East coast. Um, she's from Boston or something, but she's clearly not American. You know what I mean? So you kind of have all these different accents happening. And even though it was an American production, you know what I mean? It just sort of has this weird. And then she's got a, she's got like a sassy best friend. That's always coming after her that I feel like is supposed to be like from New New York. York Yeah. Yeah. And they're all in LA. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's almost and then, like and they a cross the border. Like they, I guess they're either leaving California or they're entering California. I don't know. I if they're, they're entering leaving. California, where were they before? Were yeah, they, they in Vegas? They were, they were leaving California. Leaving I believe, California, because, yeah. Because I think the sign was like behind them, you know, like to enter California. But but all those things happening, it's it it has this weird feel of a of a European film yeah. made in America where they're trying to make it seem like everybody's American. You know what I mean? Well, that's why I thought, I thought like, was this a French project that got kind of shifted around and then these are all kind of archives of that original concept somehow? I don't know. I mean, I guess the, the since, and, and again, maybe the, the, the novel delves more into this, you know, maybe the characters are very French in the novel. Um, but the fact that Gerard Depardieu was supposed to be the actor in it, you know, uh, maybe they just decided to keep all the French aspect, even though they didn't have a French actor. I don't know. Maybe, but, maybe, yeah. might be, maybe, but yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's interesting because, uh, uh, you, you definitely can see you know John McTiernan the the talent that he had yes or has you know is definitely on display he didn't you know he did a lot of blockbuster type movies so i don't know that he did anything as you know this is somewhat artsy um so you know i don't know that he did anything you know you go from this to predator and die hard which are these really kind of tightly put together films, you know, obviously a lot bigger budgets and, and all of that, but you also have a very, we talked about this with, uh, Pierce Brosnan, but you have a very handsome cast in this, Yes, you know, obviously Pierce Brosnan, great, great looking guy, as you said, looks really good with a beard, you know, and he has that beautiful hair, you know, uh, you know, I'll say something to that too. That's not a given. You can't just cast good-looking people and they look good on camera, right? Yeah. There's a lot involved in making your actors look good because it's not just a headshot, right? They need to look good looking at each other, talking, thinking. You know, the sassy friend looks good. The cops look good. The other doctors. Everybody in this movie looks good. And sure, Mm -hmm. they're actors, right? But I think right off the bat, if if you talk about, you know, Schwarzenegger seeing this and being impressed, you've got a director and a cinematographer working together here that really makes everybody look good on camera. You like watching them. I got a little yeah. bored, but not because the the people weren't compelling to look at. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes there are interesting films where there's interesting dialogue and interesting stuff going on, but somehow you're just not drawn to it visually, right? And I think that is the first hurdle. Like a film can get away with a lot if it looks great. I think this thing was smartly written, but in a way that was difficult to execute because it's a thriller, really. Yeah. I mean, they market it like a horror movie, but it's just a thriller. Um the big scene is this kind of home invasion where they're, I mean, it's comical. It's like um, if you were being attacked by uh, Cirque du Soleil, you know, it's people diving mm-hmm. through windows and 
dropping in through skylights. It's like, whoa, whoa. It's, oh, those two were in sync and they did a somersault. It was just crazy. Yeah. We have this kind of slow motion motorcycle going through a yeah. window, you know. Yeah, yeah. That was silly. But those two, the two uh, actresses, so again, uh, Leslie Ann Down, who was Dr. Flax, uh, she's just gorgeous. And also uh, Anna Maria Monticelli, so the Veronique, I guess, she's gorgeous too. And these were two actors, I mean, I looked up that, you know, they worked a good bit, um, especially Leslie Ann Down. Um, she did a good bit of TV, but... I was not really familiar with either one of them. Were you? No. And no, and not I, at all. I just kind of thought it's a shame. Like it, you know, I, I, cause I thought they both were really great and the friend too. And it's just like, you know, I would have been seemingly watching, you know, the kind of stuff that they would have been in at that time. But yeah, no, um, no, I, other than Pierce Bronson and, and Adam Ant, I didn't recognize anybody yeah. in this movie. Yeah. So, and I think I probably talked about this a lot on this show. It's, uh, it's kind of interesting to go back to see the way beauty standards have kind of changed. Um, because these are two really attractive women, but in a different, it's not exactly the same kind of look that we have today, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The men certainly aren't as, um, jacked as they are now like this now idea we, for, of zero you know, body fat and well and with with uh, pierce brosnan we've we have a real good example of that for uh you know people that are really into pierce brosnan he's naked in this at one point um and again I mean, he's in shape he, yeah everyone's in shape you know they're they're in great shape they're just not he's a really fit guy he's just kind of slim you know yeah. um and not like super muscular and well i was gonna i was gonna say like he's a good tennis player except even tennis yeah. players today are ja look jacked like, yeah athletes like today 80s. look like you know the superheroes on the screen like people just look shreddedly huge if if you, you know anybody at the top of professional athletics of course if if one of a, a tennis pro now played bjorn borg from the 70s who won women right i mean they would destroy them. They're just juggernauts now compared to. Yeah. I don't know. Is but it, yeah. is, if it's nutrition or steroids or just a higher standard or what, but we've, yeah, we've changed. I mean, definitely weight training has become so much bigger of a, of a thing because you pretty much hit it on the head. Uh, Pierce Brosnan, you know, he's got like a tennis an eighties tennis player body where he, you know, there's no fat on him. He, he has some muscle, but he's, he's basically just lean, you know, and the same thing with the women, they're just slim, you know? Um, so I, I, I just think it's interesting to go back like 35 years and just see how the, the body, you know, uh, shape has, has changed. Um, yes, know. my body really shape has changed. That. Yeah. <laughs> we all have, I think. I think that's just time. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So, uh, what do you think recommendation wise? I mean, you know, if we're, if you're doing the litmus test of a popcorn thing, I'd be like, I, we could probably recommend some other stuff that you're going to enjoy more. But, but that being said, like if you're interested in it academically and seeing this guy's first film and Brosnan's first film, it's definitely a good looking movie. I didn't, you know, like, I would just keep beating up on Kill and Kill again. Like, so many times in <laughs> that movie, I I wanted to turn it off, right? I'm like, mm -hmm. why do I have to finish watching this film just to talk about how much I hate this film, right? So this was definitely not that. Like, I didn't have any trouble sitting through it. Um, mm -hmm. I just, you know, it was good enough that it, it I got all the way through it and I was like, oh. But then it, it was never more exciting for me than, oh. So I don't know how you put that on the thumb scale. Is thumb like halfway with just a I mean, I don't know. I, I guess recommend it eh, maybe. What do you yeah, think? Uh, my recommendation would be um, 
you know, it's a, this is a weird, kind of a weird movie. So if you like kind of weird stuff, but not super weird. And it's, you know, there were definitely, there were a couple of times in this where I felt it was a little, you know, kind of spooky, but this isn't really a frightening film. Um, I'll tell you, let me jump in. Let me jump in for a second. Because I did think there was one thing they did pretty well in this early on, because it's a big part of the entire first half of the film is her kind of wandering around seeing flashbacks of him and him following these punks around trying to figure out what they're doing. They did that pretty well. They did that because that's a lot of the camera kind of following either the doctor or Pierce Brosnan sort of cautiously, you know, like there's like, what in the heck is happening? You know, and they're kind of coming around a corner or they're being careful and I, I found that that's common. You see that in movies a lot. And it's usually just sort of feels like filler. But I thought this really did sort of nail a lot of those moments where she'd kind of come out of one of these fugue states and she would there they would give her a few seconds to like sync back up with the fact that she was now standing in the middle of a street and wasn't basically seeing through Pierce Brosnan's memory eyes anymore and I thought they just stuck the landing on that time and time again and I had the thought to myself I'm like that's actually that's hard that's a hard moment to really nail mm-hmm. and especially since it's the whole first half of this movie it's a good thing they nail that um, again I don't that doesn't make a satisfying meal in and of itself but uh, anyway I think it's interesting that you bring that up because that was another criticism that I saw several times in, in reviews that I, other reviews that I looked at where people were saying they either should have had it just be, you know, just be about Pierce Brosnan, like cut the doctor out of it entirely, or had it be, she's going around like investigating and then they would just like show a scene you know, of what happened with him and then it would be her, you know what I mean? Yeah, um, I do. Why? Whereas, Why divide the yeah. movie this way? What What is it serving? What's their relationship? Like if it turns out that they're linked in some way other than his, him being the last, she being the last person he sees before he dies, right? Or was that supposed to happen in the movie where somehow they become intertwined in some way but it didn't. It it felt arbitrary all the way through. Like, who are you? Oh, I'm just the doctor your husband's spirit jumped into before he died. Like, there is there is no... You know what I mean? I think that's a big problem. Yeah. I mean, I kind of took it as either... And the, again, the movie doesn't really explain this. But what I thought, it, what I thought initially was, was going to be that he was... Uh, in like in the first couple minutes of the movie, I thought, well, he's cursed and he's passing this curse on to her, um, which, you know, didn't seem that it was that. But maybe I guess he, you know, it was like he was transmitting his if it was really they were coming to get his soul, that he was transmitting his soul to her so they couldn't get it. I don't know. Well, I mean, they did make that comment like, oh, that's too bad. Last thing a man says is supposed to be significant or something. There's all these little Mm -hmm. offhanded comments that feel like writing with a capital W, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But as far as recommendation, like I say, you know, I think I liked it a little bit more than than what you did. I mean, I I liked, again, it's not a a perfect film by any means. And a lot of it doesn't, you know, doesn't really come together. but I, there was enough about it that I really liked. And even it being sort of slow burnish, I never was uh, bored. In fact, I, I had intended to watch it in, I, I was kind of short on time. And the, the day that I started it, I thought, well, I'm going to just watch like half of it. And then I'll finish the other half another day. And I wound up just, I was into it enough that I just sat and just watched the whole thing. So, um, yeah, I, I think it overall, you know, not anything that's going to change your life or anything, but I think it's interesting enough and well-made enough and, and well-acted enough. And it uh, on Rotten Tomatoes from critics, it's like a 33%. 
and from viewers it has like a thousand ratings it's like 37 percent. and i think that i think it's better than that i mean i'd put it at like i'd put it for me like a six i'm kind of an easy grader but um you know it's nowhere near i mean i don't think it's a bad movie in any in any way really mm. it's just it just doesn't you know it's just not fully realized it feels like it needed another couple passes at the script you know and and maybe it was just because the budget was low they just sort of let him do whatever um or there wasn't time to go in and one more question i want to ask you real quick the again as to whether they uh what they are exactly there's a one scene where he so there's there's one scene where is it adam ant that he beats to death or was that another guy yeah so he beats him to death with a tire iron. And so, you know, there's physically somebody that he's hitting, apparently. And he goes up to his house and looks out the window and the dead body's there. And then the next day, the body is gone. And we get no explanation on that as to what. Now, is is Adam Ant back in the, in the end? Is he one of the people when they're attacking the house? Because there's a, it's like, at the end, it's like they multiplied. You know, in throughout the movie, there's what five or six of them, and then he, and he throws the a end, guy off a building like, too. But and they, they yeah, no, that's smile. Adamant looks up at him as he's beating him. Adamant seems happier and happier, like oh, like maybe we found another one of us. You know, one of us, one of us. Throws mm-hmm. the guy off the building, and there's this big grin on his face, kind of like that's the spirit. You know, so and maybe that's supposed to mean something. And presumably, so it's he and the wife are up on the building and the guy just kind of shows up, you know, he looks over and the guy's there next to him and then he's standing between them and she doesn't see him. And then he throws the guy off the building, as he said, and we don't, we don't know whether she saw what he did or, so I don't know. I think there's something, you know, very kind of, Maybe we were supposed to see that this famous anthropologist who has been documenting these sort of nomadic people, you know, now discovering them in this new place, he becomes fascinated by them and he can't help but go follow them and document them too and take pictures of them. And, you know, it's just he... Maybe it's supposed to be playing with this idea that, you know, a part of him deep down always wanted to sort of end up joining i don't know if if so it didn't come it didn't come through to me i mean i i've been talking about this because i've been trying to make sense of it and i i think in some ways this movie was trying to be deep like it was supposed to feel like there were deeper waters deeper currents running here but i don't i don't think it succeeded in in feeling like oh the anthropologist you know I didn't think it chimed at that level but it looked like it was trying to yeah it there's a and again they just play on it very uh, very lightly but the whole reason that they're in LA is because he's going to teach at UCLA or something like that and it's he's not really happy about it um, you know because it's like he's being domesticated and, you know, you get the feeling he would much rather be out studying, you know, these running different with the nomads. Yeah. Yeah. Running with the nomads and they don't uh, uh, they don't really make that clear. And he's scared of them, you know. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. But, yeah, that that's a good point. They, I, I, I would imagine they were trying to go something like that, maybe that he you know, that's ultimately where he belonged because he's a nomad too. You know, he's not, he can't really be tied down. So I feel bad not, I feel bad not heaping more praise on the movie, but it's funny because I I think it, it's a really well-made movie that maybe just aimed a little higher than it was able to hit. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when that happens, the tape, like it's good enough that you start criticizing it on a, on another level. And, on that level, it's not a very good movie, right? But if you're mm-hmm. comparing it 
to die and die again or Megaforce. It's a great movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, yeah, I don't know what the budget was. There's different metrics you can kind of hold it to. But at least with a movie like Megaforce, I mean, I remember the cheesiest parts in Megaforce fondly, but it's a boring film, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you sit through Megaforce and you're like, oh, this is a slog, right? But there are a couple of like, there's a handful of these glorious scenes where you're like, that is bonkers, mm -hmm. you know? And then you remember those bonkers moments and you, and you remember them fondly and you go, oh, Megaforce, that one's bonkers. It's not bonkers, it's boring collectively. Like it's, yes. it's a film that doesn't work, but this doesn't have those, you know, this doesn't have those gonzo standout scenes to make it a cult classic. Um, it's it's very very good. It's just I think it it was uh, it wasn't quite up to what it was aiming for. So it, it was it was enough to qualify for the big leagues, but then not not really compete. Like I yeah. had never heard of it before. Never heard of it. So that and that poster makes you think maybe I thought we were going to get. Uh, Kind, somewhat of a cheese fest yeah you know? some ghosts and some some spooks and but, i and uh, i saw i i read somewhere i think maybe i texted this to you before i you know i hadn't even watched a trailer or anything but i read somewhere where it was like oh and it's it's pierce brosnan with a bad french accent so i thought oh you know this is going to be might be, be awful but might yeah. be awful in all the best ways yeah but and and this i this to me and the, the you know the studios are rarely ever going to do this, but this is the kind of thing that you remake. You know, you take a a kind of an obscure movie, and uh, you know, you have a little bit bigger budget. You flesh things out some more. Yeah, you can't um, make them punk. So you have to evolve. Sure, those characters. Yeah, and they, they they they're just so boring. They're just all variations yeah. on the same punk Halloween costume. And they all just have the same stupid, like, leer. What, what, are, you, what? what are you looking at? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Swinging chains. Adamant has a cane for part of it. I'm like, what is this? Clockwork Orange? Like, what? Yeah. Ooh, they're bad guys. I get it. That's as deep as it goes. Mm-hmm. Not a single one of them has any any specific character, and you're like, "Well, they're spirits." I'm like, "It's still lazy filmmaking, right? Or writing." Yeah. But from a from a remake standpoint, of course, you know they just want to remake. It's like, "Oh, you've heard of this before, so we're going to remake it." Right. You know? uh, and to well, me, but you I understand. Rather... You understand why they do oh, that. Sure. Exactly. Yeah. Because this, and you know, this wasn't something that only made a couple million dollars. So. If you said like, "Hey, you know, your director or whatever," you say, "I want to remake this 1986 movie called Nomads that nobody saw," you know, then they're just be like, "Ah, hey, we're not going to give you money for that." But, but you know what I mean? It's like this is the kind of thing that you you could remake, um, and and do something really interesting with it. But. You would you would have to answer some architectural questions. You'd have to answer some questions of so these antagonists, what do they want? We have to see what they want. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. you need an interesting and compelling bad guy. And you also need to answer the question of what's going on between the doctor and the anthropologist. Like, why? What's that relationship? I think it's fertile. I think you could answer those questions in interesting ways, but you would have to. The, this movie doesn't explain that to you. I don't know if there was a book or other source material. That it, you was, could turn yeah, to, it was. Yeah, it was. It yeah. was. It was a novel. Oh, you already um, said that. Yeah. Yeah, so and, and so I maybe it's again, in the book. I, yeah, maybe the book fleshes it out more. Who knows? But but yeah, so I would overall personally, I would recommend this if you know you listened to any of this and thought this sounds interesting. If if not, but I think it's interesting enough just to see for Pierce Brosnan. You know, in a, he's he's very compelling in this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even with the you know the what people are saying is a bad French accent. He's, it's not the worst I've ever heard. No, no. I mean, he, no, for sure. And he's just so very watchable, you know, I mean, he's not, you know, the, 
he doesn't really have much sense of humor in this. We're kind of used to the wink and a smile, Pierce Brosnan, and he doesn't really have that, but he's still very compelling, I felt. I think it's hard to do a really convincing foreign accent. And I know that Hollywood now is full of people, a lot of Australians for some reason. Um, the British, the handful of the British seem to be really good at it. Um, but it, I don't... They can fi- definitely do American accents. Well. I don't find it easy um, at all. I'm always really impressed when I see an actor and their accent is so convincing that then I see them in an interview and they sound Australian. I'm always like, what? That was, that was accent work. That was amazing. You know, it's hard. It's hard to not have telltale because you can really hear, you can hear when somebody does, I'm terrible at it. Like when I'm doing accents, if I'm not doing a cartoon version of something for a comic effect, I can't do a convincing foreign accent of any kind. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of really, really good actors that get close. But the problem is you it, getting close, you still hear it's not real. Like Dan Stevens actually does a really good American accent. And uh, there's a lot of people that – there's man, there's a lot of people working today that just do really flawless accent work, and I'm so impressed by it. So, I mean, this is not a terrible French accent, but it's also not a convincing French accent. You know, I'm like, oh, and this Frenchman. <laughs> yeah. I was talking to uh, a friend who's Spanish, um, and lives in Spain, and uh, he was talking about the show. I think it's called Narcos. Oh yeah. Did you, have you did you ever watch that? Yeah, it's fun. And uh, he was saying the fun. The it's guy about Pablo who, Escobar. It's brutal, but it's good Netflix, yeah. you know, thriller stuff. But the actor who plays Pablo Escobar is um, from uh, shoot from Portugal. Um, so. You know, he's not a native and he speaks Portuguese in Portugal. He's not a and there, you know, there's similarities between that and Spanish. But he was saying, he said, uh, you know, it was interesting to watch for him because it's a Portuguese guy playing. He's not playing Spanish. He's playing Colombian. Mm -hmm. And so he said, you know, his he said as a native Spanish speaker, he said, I could definitely tell that Spanish was not his first language. But he said, but he did a good job with it. And he said for, you know, it was an American show, I think. And he said, you know, American audiences. I didn't. Gonna, I can't yeah, parse, you know, uh, Colombian versus Spanish versus Mexican Spanish. I, you know, what yeah. do I know? Yeah. And uh, so and I asked him about that. I said, because I was saying how um, and it's it's not just an accent. It's, you know where it's the same language, but, uh, with, and we've talked about this a lot with British actors and, and, uh, Australian actors as well. They can do such flawless American accents, um, to where we, you know, to where there've been times that there are actors that I don't even know they're English, you know, you'll see them in a show and they're playing American and then you see them in an interview and you're like, oh, they're English. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how good it is. Yeah. But to do two different languages and do an accent, you know, would be an, an even different level. And I asked him, I said, you know, do you think a somebody who's a not a native Spanish speaker could do a super convincing Spanish accent? And he said, well, you know, maybe, but it's still, um, again, like in this case, we wouldn't pick up on it, but he could tell, you know. Um, so I don't know. I th- I think, you know, you almost get into a thing sometimes, even though it's it's the same language, but is like uh, uh, Canadian English versus American English. It's so close. And there are a lot of times people who are Canadian where it's, you know, un- until they say a boat or whatever, you know. But um, But that's what I'm saying is there are certain sounds in America – American English. I mean, this is also true in Britain, um, which is interesting because Britain's a much smaller piece of real estate. But there's so much variation even within American English. Like if mm-hmm. if you're a, ne- a native Texan versus, you know, 
Southern California versus Georgia versus Florida, Tennessee, like even moving state to state in the South, it changes. Appalachian, even Maine is different than Massachusetts, right? Is different than Boston. Like all of Massachusetts doesn't speak like Boston, you know? So it's like you really, you really parse it out and we move around a lot. So now you've got people that like, Spent their summers in Michigan, you know, with their mom, but spent with their dad in South Carolina and grew up like so they're going to have different. You know what I mean? It gets muddy mm-hmm. and, and you have to have a super finely tuned ear to, to find pick this stuff out. But I think these people that do are able to do convincing accents get that kind of detail like they work with vocal coaches and they really dial in. And practice, 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 practice until they get it into their, literally into their body to to just be able to talk like that. It's a lot of work. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's crazy, like you said, even within states, like in West Virginia, where we're from, you go from Parkersburg, where we grew up, to Charleston, West Virginia. Charleston has a completely different accent than, and it, you know, and it's like 90 minutes away yeah you know um so it's crazy yeah yeah i i think accents are fascinating i, I mean, do too but people listening to this are like oh my god these yeah. guys talk for 10 minutes about accents but but yeah i i think it's fascinating and and uh you know actors who can do it well it's impressive which is to say that pierce brosnan in this film is not one of the whatever yeah. I was just yeah. uh, hating on his accent. But it's not as bad as they make it out. No, no. You no. notice it and then you forget about it. Then you just go exactly. with it. Exactly. He really commits to it, you know? Yeah. That's the thing is if you see an actor trying to work on it, it's like, hello, governor. You know, you're like, oh, well, that's why I'm watching you struggle with those, <laughs> you know, with those sounds versus and like you said, living in the moment. He's very like in the moment. He's not doing a cartoon thing where he's no. like, oh, oh, oh. No, know, he's trying to blue. sound natural. Exactly. Yeah. He's trying to sound really natural. And you can just sort of see the stitches a little bit there. But yeah. anyway, um, Chris and Chris Talk Movies at gmail.com. That's our handle. We are on the socials. We are loving if you like and subscribe and leave us a comment. We are loving this. Please do this. Um. You know, thank you for listening and joining us, and maybe you're watching us. I don't know what you're doing, but thanks. <laughs> we can't see. <laughs> we can't see. Uh, we need to have that power, like, in the film that she could see through. That's right, see through, through your through eyes. eyes. I don't really think we would want that, would we? Probably not, no. Anywho. So we we had talked, you had sent me a trailer for, is it Galaxina? Oh, yeah, but you know what? If there's a tragic story associated with it, that might sour it for me, but it looks terrible. Yeah. Like with the big grin, like, oh, that looks Mm. terrible. (laughs) Yeah, Galaxy in 1980, and I mean, it looks very non-PC and quite dumb, but if we can find it, maybe that's what we do for next time. Yeah. And this is a movie that I definitely had heard of before. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't, I, you know, was vaguely aware of it, but. And I, ha- yeah. I have watched Dark Star, which is a cult classic. And I, you said you've mm-hmm. seen too. It's been a little while since long, I watched it. I don't really want to go back and rewatch it because ultimately I found it to be boring. But okay. there is a lot to talk about in it. This, beca- this came out before Star Wars and before Alien. And it's a kind of a corny, weird movie. But and it's John Carpenter's first movie, right? Yeah, but there's a lot in it that you. it's hard to... It, it would be hard to say that some of these bigger, high-profile or more, quote-unquote, seminal science fiction movies... I mean, there's some imagery and some silhouettes and some stuff in there that I'm like, oh, my God, they lifted that directly from this movie, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's worth talking about on those terms um, if you want to consider that, too. Yeah, I watched it in, like, I was working a summer job in college in, like, 1996. Oh, uh, yeah. 
and some guy that I worked with was like, "Oh, Dark Star, it's an awesome movie. You got to watch it." And he brought me a he lied. VHS of it. And <laughs> I watched it. And I think even then I was just like, eh, "It was okay." Um, I didn't. But the yeah, this it guy tries like to really be funny. There's these big long sequences that where it thinks it's it's hilarious, and you're just like, "Oh boy, funny it's not." Anyway, um, I got to wrap it up because I got okay familial duties I must perform. All right. There so, you go, accent. Yes, I call this Scottish. my... <laughs> well, I I don't know. Welsh? Uh, let me flip through the manual. That was your Connery? That was. No, my, my Sean Connery um, is really embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, uh, let's call it an evening, and we will surprise you next time with another delicious surprise. episode of two... Middle-aged white dudes talking about film. <laughs>